Part three, chapter seventeen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. At nine o'clock, the right wing under Bagration had not as yet begun to fight. Unwilling to acquiesce in Dolgorukov's urgency to begin the battle, and anxious to escape the responsibility, Prince Bagration proposed to the latter to send and make inquiries of the commander in chief. Bagration knew that as the distance separating the two wings was almost ten verse, the messenger, if he were not killed, which was very probable, and even if he found the commander-in-chief, which would be extremely difficult, would not have time to return till late in the afternoon. Bagration glanced over his staff, with his great, expressionless, sleepy eyes, and was involuntarily attracted by Rostov's boyish face, full of excitement and hope. He chose him for the messenger." "'And if I should meet His Majesty first "'before I found the Commander-in-Chief, "'your illustriousness?' asked Rostov, "'touching his cap-visor. "'You can give the message to His Majesty,' "'said Dolgorukov, "'taking the words out of Bagration's mouth. "'After he was relieved at the outposts, "'Rostov had been able to catch a few hours' sleep "'before the morning, and felt happy, "'full of daring and resolution, "'and brimming over with elasticity of motion "'and confidence in his own good fortune.' In such a state of mind, everything seems easy, bright, and possible. All his desires had been fulfilled that morning. A general engagement was to be fought. He was to take part in it. Moreover, he had been made orderly on the staff of one of the bravest generals. Nay, more, he was entrusted with a message to Kutuzov, and might have to deliver it to the sovereign himself. The morning was clear and bright. The horse that he rode was excellent. His heart was full of joy and courage. Having received his instructions, he struck in the spurs and galloped off along the line. At first he passed in front of Bagration's forces, which had not as yet engaged, and were ranged in motionless ranks. Then he rode into the space occupied by Uvarov's cavalry, and here he began to remark some excitement and indications of readiness for battle. After passing Uvarov's cavalry, he began to distinguish clearly the sounds of cannonading and musketry in front of him. The firing kept growing more violent. The morning air was fresh and clear, and it was no longer firing at irregular intervals, two or three shots at a time, and then one or two cannon shot, but along the declivities of the hills in front of Pratzen was heard the thunder of musketry, dominated by such frequent reports from the heavy guns that often a number of them could not be distinguished apart, but mingled in one general rumble. It could be seen how over the mountainside the puffs of smoke from the muskets seemed to run along, chasing each other, and how the great clouds of smoke from the cannon rolled whirling up, spread and mingled in the air. By the glint of bayonets through the smoke, the masses of infantry could be seen moving along, and the narrow ribbons of artillery, with their green caissons. Rostov reined in his horse on a hilltop for a moment, in order to watch what was going on, but in spite of the closeness of his scrutiny, he could not make out or decipher himself from what he saw. What men were moving in the smoke— or what bodies of troops were hurrying this way and that, back and forth. But why? Who are they? Where are they going? It was impossible to tell. This spectacle did not arouse in him any melancholy or timid feelings. On the contrary, they filled him with a new energy and zeal. Well, then, give it to them again, said he, mentally replying to these sounds. And again he started on a gallop along the lines, making his way farther and farther within the domain of troops already now entering into the action. How this is going to turn out yonder I do not know, but it will be all right, thought Rostov. 
having passed by some of the troops of the austrian army rostof noticed that the portion of the line next they were the guards were already moving to the attack so much the better i can see it close at hand he said to himself he was now riding along almost at the very front a number of horsemen were galloping in his direction these were our lieb uhlans who with broken and disorderly ranks were returning from the charge rostof passed them and could not help noticing that one of them was covered with blood but he galloped on that's of no consequence to me he said to himself he had ridden only a few hundred paces further when he perceived at his left coming down upon him an immense body of cavalry extending the whole length of the field and likely to cross his path they were on coal-black horses and dressed in brilliant white uniforms rostof spurred his horse at full speed so as to get out of the way of these cavalrymen and he would easily have done so had they kept on at the same pace all the time but they rode faster and faster and some of the horses were almost upon him rostof distinguished more and more clearly the trampling of their feet and the jingling of their arms and could see more and more distinctly their horses their figures and their faces these were our cavalier guards on their way to charge the french cavalry who were deploying to meet them the cavalier guards came galloping along still keeping their horses under restraint rostof could already see their faces and hear the word of command spoken by an officer marsh marsh who was urging on his blooded charger rostof afraid of being crushed or carried away into the charge against the french spurred along the front with all the speed that he could get out of his horse and still it seemed as though he were going to fail of it the last rider in the line a pockmarked man of giant frame frowned angrily when he saw rostof in front of him knowing that they must infallibly come into collision this guardsman would surely have overthrown rostof for rostof himself could not help seeing how small and slight he and bedouin were in comparison with these tremendous men and horses if he had not had the presence of mind to shake his riding-whip into the eyes of the guardsman's horse the charger black as coal heavy and high shied cropping back his ears but the pock-marked rider plunged his huge spurs into his side with all his might and the charger arching his tail and stretching out his neck rushed onwards faster than ever rostof was hardly out of the way of the guardsmen when he heard their huzzas and glancing around saw that their front ranks were already mingling with strange horsemen with red epaulets apparently the french farther away it was impossible to see anything because immediately after this on the other side the cannon began to belch forth smoke and everything was shrouded at the moment that the guardsmen dashed past him and were lost to view in the smoke rostof was undecided in his own mind whether he should gallop after them or go where his duty called him this was that brilliant charge of the cavalier guards which the french themselves so much admired it was terrible for rostof when he heard afterward that out of all that throng of handsome young giants out of all those brilliant rich young men officers and yunkers mounted on splendid chargers who galloped past him only eighteen were left alive after the charge why should i envy them my turn will come and perhaps i shall see the sovereign very soon now thought rostof as he galloped on when he came up to the infantry of the guards his attention was called to the fact that shot and shell were flying over them and all around them not so much because he heard the sounds of the missiles as because he saw dismay on the faces of the soldiers and an unnatural martial solemnity on the faces of the officers as he was riding behind one of the infantry regiments of the guard he heard a voice calling him by name rostof what is it he replied not seeing that it was boris what do you think of this 
we were put in the front line our regiment has been in a charge said boris smiling with the happy face such as young men wear when they have been for the first time under fire rostof drew up have you indeed he said and how was it repulsed said boris eagerly and becoming talkative you can imagine and boris began to relate how the guards as they stood in their places and seeing troops in front of them mistook them for austrians and then suddenly by the shots that came flying over them from these same troops recognized that they were in the front line and unexpectedly engaged in the conflict rostof not stopping to hear boris to the end of the story started his horse where are you bound to his majesty with a message there he is said boris who supposed that rostof wanted his highness instead of his majesty and therefore pointed him to the grand duke who was standing not a hundred paces away dressed in a helmet and a cavalier guard collet or jacket with elevated shoulders and frowning face he was shouting something to a pale austrian officer in a white uniform no that's the grand duke but my errand is to the commander-in-chief or to the emperor said rostof and was just getting his horse under way count count cried berg who no less excited than boris had been came running out from the other side count i have been wounded in my right arm said he pointing to his wrist which was bloody and wrapped up in a handkerchief and i stayed at the front count i had to hold my sword in my left hand in our family all the von bergs have been knighted berg went on to say something more but rostov not stopping to listen to him was already far away passing by the guards and across a vacant space rostof in order not to get into the front again as he had been when he was caught by the charge of the cavalier guards rode along the line of the reserves making a considerable detour of the place where the most violent cannonade and musketry firing was heard suddenly he heard loud volleys of musketry before him and behind our troops in a place where he would never have suspected the presence of the enemy what can that mean wondered rostof can the enemy have outflanked us it cannot be he said to himself and a horror of fear for himself and for the success of the battle suddenly came over him whatever it is however he thought now there's no avoiding it i must find the commander-in-chief here and if all is lost then it is my place to perish with the rest the gloomy presentiment which had come over him was more and more made certainty the farther he rode into the fields behind the village of pratzen which were occupied by throngs of demoralized troops what does this mean what can this mean at whom are they firing who is firing he inquired as he overtook russian and austrian soldiers running in confused throngs across his path the devil only knows he has beaten us all all is lost answered the throngs of the fugitives in russian in german and in bohemian and they could tell no better than he himself could what was going on there hang the germans cried one the devil take em the traitors zum henker dieser russen to the devil with these russians stammered some german a number of wounded were wandering down the road curses cries groans mingled in one general uproar the firing ceased as rostof afterwards heard russian and austrian soldiers had fired at each other my god what does this mean thought rostof and here where any minute the emperor might see them but no these were apparently only a few cowards this is only transient this is nothing it cannot be he said to himself i must get by them as soon as possible the idea of a defeat and of a total defeat could not enter rostof's head 
although he could see the French cannon and troops on the Pratzer, on the very place where he had been commanded to find the commander-in-chief, he could not and would not believe this. End of chapter 17